As we conclude our series this morning, I, I could be wrong, but I don't know that we've even really mentioned the word stewardship in the past three weeks. And I'm not going to be presumptuous and assume that you are familiar with that word or know what it means, but simply put, stewardship is being a caretaker, a manager of something that has been entrusted to you. And for the past three weeks, we have focused on the unique ways that God calls us to be managers of the unique blessings as we seek to live God-lived lives. First of all, the first Sunday, reminding us of the importance of being a disciple and how we manage or take care of that blessing entrusted to us of the Word of God, to crave more of that Word. And then the second Sunday, reminding us to use our, our time and our talents, our abilities in service to others, to seek ways to serve others. And then more specifically, last Sunday, kind of along the same lines, to be radically hospitable to others. Again, managing the gifts and resources God has given us to be generous in, in acts uh, and, and in service to others, to be hospitable. And today, we focus, we conclude our series focusing on also managing the financial blessings that God gives to us under the theme of a God-lived life is, is one that is shrewdly lived. And as we do that this morning, we're going to, to look at an example that maybe isn't one that, that would be an individual that we would seek to emulate. emulate. And in fact, the individual in the story that Jesus tells, I, I think it's safe to call the guy a jerk, which maybe I, I would get in trouble for in a sermon, except that you heard him in the story that Jesus told, and that's exactly what he is, a, a narcissist, very self-absorbed, worried about himself, right? And yet, it's not that that he is praised for, those, those qualities, as we'll see this morning, but we are going to use him as an example because here's the thing about the individual in the story that Jesus tells. He's relatable. Though he hasn't given a name in Jesus' parable, we might call him or refer to him as Mr. Selfish. And Mr. Selfish is relatable because when we look at him, we see a lot of ourselves. Recognizing that the decisions that we make are so often factored by the criteria of what's best for three people, me, myself, and I. So as we look at that individual this morning, what we're really going to focus on is the question that he, he asks, a question that, that Jesus wants us to consider. What shall I do now? Now what do I do? What, what next? And as he asks that question, again, it's important for us to acknowledge that, that Jesus holds this individual up not because of his dishonesty, not because of, of his self-absorbed self-interest, not because he's basically bilking, stealing from his, his master, but he holds him up as an example because he is shrewd. And that's what we're going to, to focus on this morning. And, and we're going to kind of review or go through the, the gospel again, kind of verse by verse, focusing on the story that Jesus tells and what he wants us to draw out of it. Luke starts out by telling us Jesus told his disciples. So the implication there is when he's talking to his disciples, what is disciple? Remember, it's one who learns. So he's saying, listen up, I have something to teach you about how you are a steward or a manager of what God has given you. 
He continues, says, There was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, What is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be manager any longer. Now, in these times, that was an individual that basically was tasked with overseeing, with managing all of his master's household, everything that belonged to him. And, of course, the idea was you do what's best for your master. You want to manage his blessings in a good way, that, a favorable way that, that ends up serving him well, not to, to lose it, not to squander it away, but to manage it wisely, to do what's best for your master. We don't know what the what the detail was. We don't know why he was fired or let go, but obviously he had mismanaged something, had done something wrong, and, and his master said, no longer. Gave him the pink slip. Let him go. But that individual and the word used to describe him is what Scripture also applies to us, a steward or a manager, uh, which is to say that we're simply acknowledging that everything that we have has been given to us from God. And not only that, but we're also going to see that just like this individual, what we have been given to manage is ours only for a short time. The parable continues. Jesus goes on. This this man recognizes his predicament. In verse 3, The manager said to himself, What shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. So so pause there and, and realize that this guy did something very important that very often it's easy for us to kind of just go through life without doing what he did. And it's two things, really two questions to ask when, uh, that fall under that umbrella of what shall I do now. The question that we first want to ask is what, is, what is the goal? What are you managing what God has given you? What are you managing it for? What is the desired purpose? What is the intended outcome? Or are we just living to live? Eat, drink, be merry, spend, and then we die. This individual realized that that he had a a goal in mind because he wasn't able to dig and he wasn't going to beg, so he had to think about his future and what he was going to do. And then the other element to to think about is how am I going to manage what I have right now? Not what I might have in the future or what I used to have in the past, but with what I have right now because as he realized, it was only going to be his to manage for a short while longer. Right There was a very uh, shortening window of the time that he had to manage his master's blessings. And the same is true of us. Not one of us has a single guarantee that what you have today, you will have tomorrow. Pay attention to the stock market on a a daily basis and watch it go like this. Right? Watch something that you thought you had that was of value sink. Or something that you thought was worthless be of value. The, The fact is, you don't know what you'll have five or ten years from now, but you know what you have right now, what God has entrusted to you to manage. So be mindful of the purpose behind what God has given you, that, those blessings to manage. And the individual here, the, the shrewd manager, has a plan. He comes up with a, a pretty good idea uh, for his own purposes. He says in verse 4, I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each one of his master's debtors. He asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 800 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, take your bills, sit down quickly and make it 400. Then he asked the second, and how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill and make it 800. 
realize that we're not talking about insignificant amounts of, of resources here. This isn't somebody that said, hey, remember that 20 spot I gave you when we went to the movie the other day? Or you know how, how I took, took you out to lunch or for coffee the last time, now it's your turn, you owe me back? These are like business partners that, that had gone into business together. Uh, think rental, think starting businesses. Substantial amounts of money. And, and this manager says, hey, I'm going to cut in half to the one individual and significantly decrease what you, what you owe to the other individual. What's really noteworthy about this whole account is the response of, of the master. You'd expect him to be irate. You'd expect him to be livid, and rightfully so, because this man was basically stealing from him, right? Stealing from him, using his own goodwill against him to his own advantage for his own purposes. And that is not why Jesus holds this individual up and praises him. But it is very clear why he is praised, because even the, the manager or the, the owner, the master himself, acknowledges it. In verse 8, the master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. He commended the guy that he fired for mismanaging his funds and his accounts. Why? Well, think about what went into this whole process of the manager. None of this would have worked if the manager didn't know his master. He realized that it was a win-win. Not only was he going to come out looking good, but he must have known that his master was kind and generous and gracious and merciful. And while it kind of puts the master in a tight spot, he also realized how brilliant it was because he comes out looking pretty good too, doesn't he? Even if you're not a business-minded person, it doesn't take much to consider. With whom would you rather do business? A penny pincher? Somebody who's going to nickel and dime you to death? Who's going to demand a pound for flesh every, every time you're in a business transaction or partnership together? Or the individual that you know is gracious, is compassionate, is sometimes even willing to forgive debt? So the master comes out looking pretty good, doesn't he? He knows that though he didn't give permission to this, this manager to do what he did, he ends up looking good because the manager knew he was gracious and merciful. Of course, the issue here is that the manager's focus was, was on himself. It was on his temporal situation. And Jesus, at this point in the story, then takes this, this earthly story that he's been telling and kind of takes a turn now and makes the application spiritual. Because yes, managing physical blessings that God has given to you is a spiritual matter. Listen to as, as Jesus goes on now and explains after verse 8. He says, The people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves, so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. And Jesus isn't saying, hope that you get into heaven by buying off friends here on earth. That wouldn't harmonize with the rest of Scripture, which clearly spells out we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus alone, not on the basis of our works or how well we treat other people. But we do acknowledge, too, that grace through faith alone also results in fruits of that faith. And this is one of those. And the point that Jesus is making with that statement 
to win friends, to gain friends, is to realize I have entrusted to you physical, material, financial possessions, not for the now, but for the new. Not for the here and now so that you can live your best life now, but so that you can make an eternal impact. A difference that actually matters well after you are done and gone on this earth and home in heaven with Jesus. He goes on to explain and, and also give some, some warning. He says in verse 10, Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much, and whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? In other words, Jesus is implying there's something more than worldly wealth. And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you your property of your own? No servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. But I love to point out after that statement from Jesus, here's the neat thing, you can serve God with money. And in connection with that very thought, not serving both God and money, it's been said, God will put up with an awful lot from us, won't he? But he won't put up with second place. Which is to say, if, if we think that we can harbor another first love, whether it's money, finances, possessions, stuff, anything in this world, and still love Jesus on the side, he says you're fooling yourself. It's impossible. Love for the one is going to lead to despising the other. So what is the, the point that Jesus wants us to take away from this parable? Well, what do we do now? What shall I do now? You know, here's the, the neat truth about what Jesus points out. And, and, and maybe to summarize it, he, he accuses the, the Pharisees and then we'll share how Jesus exemplifies the parable. In verse 14 and 15, the Pharisees who loved money heard all this and were sneering at Jesus. He said to them, You are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of men, but God knows your hearts. What is highly valued among men is detestable in God's sight. Think of Jesus' life and ministry. He wasn't just a, a proponent, an advocate of saying, don't value the stuff of, of this life, but think of eternal things and manage those blessings with eternity in mind. He also exemplified it. That was the life that Jesus lived. Consider how his focus was not temporal and worldly to the things that are going to fade and pass away in this life. Already at the age of 12, we find Jesus in the temple doing what? Managing the blessing of God's word in a way that says this is a priority in my life. At 12 years old, saying this is what matters in this life. And throughout his life and ministry, how many times do we see Jesus escape from the busyness for what? Not for his, his own selfish desires, but for prayer on behalf of his disciples and on behalf of even, yes, you and me, he prayed for many times. And the way that Jesus shows compassion doesn't turn people away. Think of the alternative. Do you remember that account in the Gospels where, where we see Jesus spending a lot of time fretting over where his next meal is going to come from or what restaurant he's going to eat at? 
Or do you remember the, the account in the Gospels? I forget the name of the store that he, that he considers wanting to go to because they have really well-made outdoor clothing and, and because he's always on the road, he wants to make sure that he's got a good robe and garment for his journey. Or the other account in the Gospels where Jesus is house shopping and he's got a realtor and he's looking for just the right place with the right square footage and, and just curb appeal. Do you remember those accounts from the Gospel? You don't because they don't exist. Because Jesus perfectly trusted his Father to not only meet but exceed every earthly need and want, quite frankly, as he has done for you and me. Which is then allows Jesus to focus on what really matters. Not the now, but the new. The new life that he came to give you and me. The life of perfect obedience that was always filtered through and focused on eternal things and how he could manage what he had, his gifts, his time, his treasures, everything that he had for eternal purposes. Caring more about souls than, than stuff. And not only did Jesus live that and embody that in his perfect holy life, but it's what drove him to Calvary to go to the cross to pay for our greed and our selfishness and, and how often we are self-absorbed and focused on, just like that shrewd manager, his own situation and his own future instead of his eternal future or the souls of others. Because Jesus went to the cross and, and paid in full for all of that corruption that exists in our hearts, he has freed us from it. He has forgiven us from it and now changed our perspective or view of it so that we are less inclined to live for the now and much more for the new. Think of when HDTVs first came out, and now they're obviously far more uh, extravagant than that as far as the picture and the clarity and the color and all of the, I don't even know what the latest technology is for screens, but I do remember when they first came out thinking, big whoop. My, my television's fine. I can see the picture just fine. I don't see what the big fuss is about this HD TV stuff. Until you go to an electronics store and you see your television next to an HD TV and you say, oh, okay, that's the difference. Pretty significant. When we are focused on the now life instead of the new life, we're still looking at that old screen. We're still focused on the here and the now, and we're missing out on the beautiful picture that God has painted us, the, the beautiful opportunities before us to manage what he gives us from an eternal vantage point, from the perspective of realizing I can make, God has privileged me, God has equipped me with the resources to be able to make an impact that is actually going to last well beyond the stuff of this world that is praised one day and forgotten the next. God has given you resources to manage in that kind of a way. And he says, be shrewd in how you manage those blessings with an eye toward the new. And I'm not going to tell you what that looks like for you because it's probably going to be different for just about everybody here. But I do want to encourage you and challenge you to ask those questions just as the shrewd manager did. What now? What are my purposes for managing what God has given to me? What am I trying to accomplish or achieve? And especially with the stuff that I have right now that I'm not guaranteed to have the next day or the day after that. For some, it might be the very first time that, that you give a gift to Jesus to continue to support the work that he does in changing eternities. 
For some who have been doing that a time, maybe it's a, a challenge to say, I, I haven't evaluated my, my giving. Maybe I can increase that 10% or even more. Maybe for some, it's, it's well beyond that. Other, God has given you the resources to be uh, as generous as, as a member we heard about last, last Sunday who gave a gift to be able to generously remodel and update our kitchen. I don't know what it is for you, and I'm not going to tell you what it is. I'm simply going to challenge you and encourage you to ask those questions and to assess and evaluate what God has given to you with an eye toward the new and not so much the now. How can God use you and what he's entrusted to you to make an eternal impact? May he bless you as you weigh those questions, as you consider them, and as you commit to, to the challenge of considering what it looks like to live a God-lived life, one that is a, a shrewd, shrewdly lived life for his purposes. Amen.